Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast, and welcome to March, the best month of the season for college hoops. Alongside Chris Dorch of Blue Ribbon, I'm Kevin Ingram. Always great to have you with us. On our show today, Craig Caswell. He's from Dayton, Ohio, and he has seen every team in Division I men's basketball. We're going to talk about his journey coming up in just a little bit. Also, the new season of The Mandalorian is out. I haven't seen it uh, as far as the first episode, but Chris has, and he's going to give us a preview of that, too, coming up in just a little bit. Chris, what's going on? March Madness, I think, got a little sneak preview last Saturday. There was four buzzer beaters, uh, Florida State, Iowa, Arizona State, and San Diego State. And then on Sunday, I just happened to catch, because I wanted to see uh, Caitlin Clark do her thing, and I caught the tail end of Iowa indiana women's and of course they have side out at, uh out of bounds in the women's game and and caitlin got got it and just threw in a great shot but i got to thinking about that side out of bounds and you know our buddy friend of the show um mike DeCourcy uh had a he he hates the side out of bounds he made a tweet do i need to point out that college basketball players authored four buzzer beating miracles today not in spite of lacking the advanced ball timeout, but because it is not available. So I couldn't help but call our friend, Rick Bird, who was chairman of the Rules Committee in 2015. And I'm sure you can guess what he said. He hates it too. He had a great quote. He said, I think you should have to earn every inch of the court. Agreed. So I agree. And I'll tell you, I've seen some crazy stuff in my day. I've talked about this on the pod before, but uh, Vanderbilt, Wichita State in the NIT years ago, Vandy had 0.5 seconds left, throwing it from their end and won the game. Kevin Stallings drew up some sort of play. The kid caught it, turned, and shot it. So, yeah, I think the game loses a little bit. Uh, You talked about this because you saw a great game last night. Kentucky uh, losing streak went down to Vandy without Liam Robbins. And you said with two seconds left, if they had that sideline out of bounds rule, they would have had a great shot to maybe pull that one out, right? They would have. They would have had a whole lot better chance. They they had the ball with 2.8 seconds and they had to go the length of the court. And, you know, if they get the ball out of bounds at the hash mark, you can draw up something that's a whole lot easier to execute than trying to drive all the way down. And they ended up taking a three sure. to, to try to win the game instead of just going for the tie. But, yeah, it, it, you just lose so much. I mean, you think about some of the most iconic plays in college basketball history, and this is always the argument I go straight to when we're talking about something right. like this. All right, think about Christian Leitner. Think about Tyus Edney. Uh, think about the – the. Um, Valparaiso Ole Miss game with with the Bryce Drew three that he hit on on that you know beautifully executed play that everybody seems like has some version of it at the end of games. I mean, so many of those iconic plays would never happen if you didn't have to go the length of the court. So um, I, I am one million percent with uh, you oh, and you and Coach oh, Bird and absolutely. Mike DeCourcy on this one. I totally agree. Uh, it's probably going to happen at some point, but. Um, I, I wish they would just leave that one alone because th- that's such an exciting part of the game to me. And some of these buzzer beaters we've seen in recent weeks have been remarkable. The one uh, in, the, in the Arizona State-Arizona game, you know, the, the Cambridge brothers both transferred to play at Arizona State and, and right in the yeah. middle of that play. Uh, they're from from here in Nashville, so I kind of keep a little more track of, of those guys than uh, than I might and otherwise. Desmond if makes they weren't from like around a half-court. Right, yeah, it was nuts. Yeah, Desmond hit that they're shot. They're calling it a- – 
and it's at Arizona to win uh-huh. the game. Yeah, at the McHale Center. They called it a heave, but I've watched that play many times over. It's a, That was a jump shot. Right. It, it was no heave. He flicked that wrist, and it just swished. I mean, Tennessee had two in a row. You, you called one of them, and Missouri makes a 40-footer on him, and that could end up knocking – Tennessee out of a, a buy in the SEC tournament and giving Missouri the buy just on that 40 footer. So, you know, it, it's really easier than, than some think it is. I'll never forget one year covering the Southern conference tournament when I was a younger sports writer, Davidson beat Chattanooga. They had three seconds and they threw it to half court and called timeout. And then from there, they were able to execute a play. And I wonder with three seconds or maybe even a little more, why more coaches don't try that. Get it to half court, call a timeout, and set something up. So, yeah, so much more strategy involved. Yeah, I, I wondered if Kentucky had had one more timeout last night, if that's what they might have done, because they spent their last timeout after Vanderbilt made the basket. Jordan Wright hit the shot from the free throw line. Kentucky called timeout, and that was their last one. I wondered if they right. had had one more, if they would have tried to advance it to half court, call timeout there, and then try to execute something with maybe a second left or, or something like that. Because you, you see teams try that if they have the, the timeouts available. But uh, th- those are some crazy situations, and you feel like this is probably setting up for just an unbelievable uh, march with tournaments coming up and, and everything really getting cranked up here in the next couple weeks. Uh, what about the job that Shaka Smart's done at Marquette? They won the Big East when they were picked to finish well below the top, and yeah. it just feels like guys are just better fits in some places than others, and Shaka Smart at Marquette just feels like a good fit. It really is, and I've gotten to know him over the years and I texted with him a little bit yesterday and congratulated him and as he went up there I I talked to some of his former assistants and they said he will do well there because he can go back to being and coaching what he does and that is basically getting kids with chips on their shoulders uh, at that level uh, well and and Marquette you're not going to get a bunch of five stars like you might have at, at Texas and you can just get kids that play hard. And and sure enough, they've gone back to what they do. He was lucky the first year he, he got them into the NCAA. And this year they've, they're have they ranked sixth and they've won their first Big East title in history. But Tyler Kolick, a transfer from George Mason, uh, he's second in the country in assists and assist average and sixth in assist to turnover ratio. He's having a great year. But if you look at what they're doing, it's, it's tailor-made for what Shaka does. They lead the nation in two-point percentage, which means they're getting a lot of points in the paint, a lot of layups. Defensively, they're 18th in turnover percentage and 7th in steals percentage. You know, they're running that havoc stuff. So he feels like he can, you know, he can coach the way he wants to. It's a more wide-open style. They shoot a lot of threes, and good for him. Uh, I'm on the Bob Cousy uh, Point Guard of the Year uh, committee, and I've been – Tyler Kolick, I, I think if, if it wasn't uh, uh, for Marquis Noel at K-State, he, Tyler might be the point guard of the year. Uh, and who knows, he, the way the voting shakes out, he still could be. But Shaka was telling me over text that, you know, the kids just had a great year. Last year, he only shot 32% from the floor and 28 from three. This year, it's 48 from the floor and 39 from three. In addition to throwing 236 assists and – uh, you know, not making that many turnovers. So it's a great story up there. 
Major injuries in the SEC and a couple really unfortunate ones. Uh, Tennessee lost to Kai Ziegler, their outstanding point guard, to a knee injury. Uh, Vanderbilt's big man Liam Robbins went down early in the game against Kentucky with an injured right leg. And, you know, as you, you wrap up the regular season, move into postseason, um, boy, for, for Tennessee, you lose such an important piece there. And for Vanderbilt, you know, a guy who's been their leading scorer and, and leading rebounder, uh, the, the sight of him on the floor in Lexington was, was really kind of hard to take. Vanderbilt went on to win the game uh, without him for most of the way. But uh, it's been kind of sad these last couple of weeks to see some of the big injuries in that league. Uh, Colin Castleton uh, went out for the year with a broken hand for Florida in their game against Ole Miss a couple of weeks ago. So, uh injuries really affect things and one thing i always wondered too is uh for teams as they're being considered for postseason play how do the folks making these decisions factor in those injuries when they're deciding either to put them in or seat them or however those things go i've always been told that that it is a factor uh but i've heard joe lenardi say in, in recent days that maybe it isn't so much a factor i do think that obviously Vanderbilt rallied and Robbins is, you know, he's a triple double waiting to happen. And that's a tough loss, but they rallied to win. And then after Ziegler went down with a horrific ACL tear, you, you could tell, you could see it in his face immediately. He knew he was hurt badly, Uh, but they went on to beat Arkansas by 18 and the game was never close. They led the whole way. And the one thing in Tennessee's favor is now they're, positionless uh they get their two wings back from injury uh james uh and phillips they're both six seven six eight and they're just a lot better defensive team and they can switch uh, sometimes the kai ziegler would get caught on a switch guarding a six eight guy and they just throw it in over there uh, over him and you know bigger guards could post him up and they'd go at him that way so uh tennessee can maybe overcome that and Obviously, for one night at least, Vanderbilt was able to overcome that injury too. Coaching changes are starting to go down, including our friend Kermit Davis uh, was let go at Ole Miss. Uh, I thought he was about as classy as anybody could possibly be uh, after getting fired in Oxford. There are rumors that Chris Beard could be in the mix, and I was having some discussion yesterday with a couple people about, you know, out of, say, Chris Beard and Will Wade, who do you look at and say this guy is more hireable than the other? And uh, you wonder what will happen at Ole Miss, and, and will it indeed be the uh, the former Texas coach uh, resurfacing in Oxford? Yeah, I was on a, a podcast, um, an Ole Miss podcast earlier this week, and they mentioned that same conversation. And I don't think Will Wade's fate has been determined uh, from the standpoint of the NCAA Chris Bird, on the other hand, all charges were dropped with him, supposedly, as everybody recalls, getting physical with his fiance. So it's going to depend on uh, their tolerance for the crap they're going to get. But if you want to hire a slam dunk choice, it's Chris Beard at at Ole Miss, uh, at least in terms of being able to get it done at a tough school. I think people are beginning to appreciate the job that Andy Kennedy did, I think in 12 years there, he won 20 games like 10 times and got into postseason play seven times. Um, so it's a difficult job. Uh, but I've heard other names mentioned. Uh, some some say that Chris Holtman at Ohio State might want to get out ahead of the posse. Ohio State's AD has an itchy trigger finger. Uh, he's done that both with Jim Foster, the women's coach, and Dad Mata, the men's coach before. So Maybe uh, 
Dusty May from FAU. He's certainly uh, – Keith Carter is the AD at Ole Miss, and he was backcourt mates with Michael White, uh, now the coach at Georgia at Ole Miss. And Dusty May worked for Mike White, so he's going to get an earful from his old backcourt partner. And I don't know what you think about this, but I've heard Casey Alexander's name mentioned from Belmont. I talked to Casey a couple of years ago. I don't know that Belmont would be his be-all, end-all, dream, final destination job. Uh, He never said that it was. He never said that it wasn't. But it'd be an interesting consideration for him what do you think uh, i think that's really interesting too i, I guess the good thing if he uh, went from belmont to old miss at least he'd all he'd already have the uh, the right color clothing you know and everything because yeah, the exactly. same colors. yeah he uh, wouldn't I, have to clean out his closet right I, I think that's really interesting uh with casey because uh he and and his wife sunny and their family they, they are belmont people you know they, they both went there and he was an outstanding player yeah. at belmont and uh coach under coach bird there for a long time then became the head coach and, and i think he would take an absolutely perfect situation for him to to move from there and and, and go somewhere else he's at a point yeah. in his life though where he's he's at the age that you know is certainly something you would look at and, and consider doing and i never begrudge people who make moves from from one place to go to a power conference job because if we're really honest with ourselves everybody whatever profession you're in you want to try to achieve at your highest level and, and also at your highest income level. And you got a chance to go somewhere and make money. It's going to change the rest of your life and, and maybe generational money, uh, you know, for your kids and everything else. So, yeah, I, I never get upset with people when they make those kinds of moves. But I, I think it would be really interesting. I haven't talked to Casey about any of this. And he and I are very good friends. Um, I've known him for, for over 20 years. Um, whatever he would decide on something like that, I'd have his back 1 million percent. But he's done a great job at Belmont, and they've had a really nice first yeah. season in Missouri Valley Conference. Uh, they, they finished in you know, in the upper tier of the league, and they'll play their conference tournament right. later in the week. So there are going to be more jobs open up, you have the feeling, here in the next uh, few days. But you know, some of those changes starting to go down. You're going to see some of them starting to get filled in uh, pretty short order uh, as we certainly you know get into the tournament and, and the, the regular season comes to a close here in these uh, you know next few days between now and the end of next week. Chris, uh, a death of a beloved basketball figure in Terry Holland, just an, an icon with Virginia basketball. And also wanted to ask you, too, about Les Robinson, a guy I know who is a mentor for you and a guy really a, a special part of your life, chosen for the Tennessee uh, Sports Hall of Fame. Really cool story and uh, happy for Les. But uh, what, what about those two guys? Well, Terry Holland first. Uh, he's really one of the reasons that I came to love the ACC so much. I moved to Virginia, our family did, for my senior year of high school. And, you know, all you see is ACC there, so – he had a great team uh, there that won the ACC championship. And then he coached guys like Wally Walker and Jeff Lamp, Brian Stith, Ralph Sampson, uh, who's a national player of the year, three years in a row from 81 to 83. So uh, he, he was definitely an icon, uh, a guy that I had a lot of admiration for. Now, Les Robinson, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be a little biased here, uh, he's one of the best people I've ever met, not just in sports, just people. I'll, I'll never forget when my daughter was born, he and his wife came and they brought a little dress for her to the hospital. And, but beyond that, he taught me so much about basketball and just life in general. Uh, there's something that I can't say on the air uh, on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause we're, 
Our, this is cool. Our rating on Apple Podcast, they say rating, you know, it could be explicit. Ours is clean. So I can't try to uh, keep it that the way thing that he taught me, uh, <laughs> but it was essentially it's, it's don't be mean to anybody, yeah. uh, but it was a little more colorful than that. But Les was a great coach. Uh, first coach to win 20 at the Citadel. I actually had a hand in the, the East Tennessee uh, university state university president hated my guts, but he asked me about Les Robinson. And I said, if you got a chance to hire him, you, I was sports editor at Johnson City at the time. Uh, you need to hire him. And so they did. Uh, he was on the NCAA men's basketball committee. Uh, he had a four-game of uh, uh, NCAA bids at ETSU. Almost, uh, it was at Vanderbilt, mm -hmm. almost beat, I think it was 89, uh, Oklahoma, which was seated number one, and they were seated number 16. And I never knew this. He's the only individual in NCAA history to serve as basketball coach and AD at three D1 schools, the Citadel, NC State, and ETSU. So he's done all that. He's, he's getting inducted in the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame. And um, kudos to him. Coach is 80 now. Um, he's getting a little forgetful. His beloved wife, uh, Barb, passed away a few years ago. and But I'm just so happy for, for Coach to get that honor and I'm hoping to be able to get up there uh, to that uh, ceremony and, and get to see him inducted. Chris, our guest this week is a really interesting guy, and uh, he has reached his goal of seeing every Division I men's basketball team in person. He got to number 364 last month with an American versus Lehigh game in Washington, D.C. He is Craig Caswell of Dayton, Ohio. Craig, what's going on, man? Morning, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, Craig, I, I get the Washington Post, and I just happened upon a great story that was written about you. And I said, dude, this is a man after my own heart. <clears throat> In fact, he may be even crazier than me <laughs> because you started this odyssey 21 years ago. The goal was to see every D one team. It took you to 131 venues all over the place. Tell us how you got this idea. I think it's great, but how did it happen upon you? Because at first you were, an NBA fan, right? And then you got indoctrinated as a college student to the coolness of college hoops. Absolutely. Yeah. So when I was a youngster, right around like 99, 2000 or so, uh, the NBA was my everything. I uh, couldn't consume enough NBA, um, hadn't really attended any college basketball. Um, when I was a, a small child, it, it's a bit of a misnomer to say that it started 22 years ago. My first college basketball game was 22 years ago, but really this blossomed uh, in the 2008, 2009 season, my freshman year at Bowling Green. Um, I walked into Anderson Arena, uh, may it rest in peace, uh, the former Bowling <laughs> Green home venue, um, and I sat down courtside center court uh, because my student ID allowed me to sit anywhere in the building, uh, which just blew me away. I mean, growing up, we didn't go to a ton of sporting events, but when we did, you know, it was all, you know, upper deck and, you know, the experience of just kind of being there. So to be able to walk in and have what I like to call my Spike Lee moment uh, was really <laughs> incredible. You know, it's unprecedented yeah. access to a top level sporting event. So I fell in love instantly, um, kind of stuck with Bowling Green, uh, their home and away games mostly uh, for the first couple years of school. And then 
at the beginning of my junior year, I kind of thought to myself, you know, I wonder what Division One looks like outside of my little corner of Northwest Ohio. Um, and I started to branch out a little bit and realized that the thing that I truly loved was the, you know, huge shambling hulk of a mosaic mm-hmm. of a mixed <laughs> metaphor that is Division One. Great way to put it. <laughs> right, right. But I, I you know, it, that was so cool to me because, you know, NBA, I'm used to, you know, whatever, 30, 32 teams. And to somehow now be sucked into this world where there's 10 times as many teams plus uh, and every single one is unique and special in its own way was really a treat. So my junior year, I started to kind of travel regionally a little bit. Uh, One of my fondest memories in the entirety of this quest was early on uh, that particular season. I saw San Diego State and Kawhi Leonard play in an essentially empty gym uh, at Millette Hall in Oxford. Ohio uh, because it was the first game of an MTE. So the neutral site game of the MTE, you know, usually it's, you know, you, me, and, you know, the teams playing, right? (laughs) Yeah, I've been to some of those. (laughs) Right, exactly. So, you know, it was, it was really cool to be able to, to sit there and see Kawhi who had been, you know, obviously still pretty hyped up to that point in college, uh, just, you know, be the master of his craft here in, you know, like a private exhibition, right? And then obviously as the years have worn on, you know, that's taken in, on even bit more of a nostalgic sheen for me, uh, but it was a really, really excellent experience. So junior year started traveling a little bit and uh, that was when I realized, you know, I'm in a pretty favorable geographic location here. Yeah. I could probably see every team in division one. And I mentioned it to my girlfriend at the time, now wife. And she was like, well, okay. I mean, that's, you know, certainly a lofty goal, but you know, go for it. Right. What's the worst <laughs> that happened? Uh, and, and she's been an unbelievable support along the way. So, uh, it's been great to have her by my side. Uh, even tonight, uh, on Tuesday, we went to the horizon league first round at Wright state, uh, which is the first game for me post quest. And tonight I'm like, you know, Northern Kentucky is hosting, you know, a horizon league quarter. If you want to <laughs> yeah. just pop across the river and she's Not like, that- oh, yeah. <laughs> right. We'll see how I feel when I get home from work, right? <laughs> <laughs> Greg Caswell is our guest. Uh, 131 venues. Uh, tell us a couple that were your favorites, and why is one of them the Peterson Event Center in Pittsburgh? Uh, the Pete is, for me, the end-all, be-all college basketball venue. It's not cavernous. It's actually quite intimate. For a, a short person like me, I'm about five foot five. So a lot of times in arena bowls, it's really hard for me to see the action. So uh, venues that are built up as opposed to out mm-hmm. are really uh, my my preference uh, by far. And the Pete is built up. Uh, the Oakland Zoo is a fantastic mm-hmm. student section that I don't think enough people talk about nationally. Um, so yeah. I love the Pete. I love Pitt. I love the fact that Pitt is, you know, seeing a bit of a resurgence resurgence under Coach Capel this season. So, uh, yeah, all good news for Pitt. Love the Pete. Yeah. One thing about that arena is they actually flipped the court. I, I've been there twice for games and and the, they flipped it to where the student section would be on TV. That was part of their goal. And I, I thought that was interesting. That is, that's a great place to see a game. Uh, and you have a great arena right there in the town where you live. The uh, the UD Arena is one of my favorite venues. Excellent. Yeah. So I love the atmosphere at UD Arena, but I actually uh, hot take hate the building ah. itself. 
uh, because it is uh, one of those that's kind of blown out instead yeah. of built up. So right. it's right. unfortunate that I could be sitting there and then 10 rows in front of me, someone stands up to go get popcorn during game action. And all of a sudden I've got a Wrigley Field sized pillar uh, standing there <laughs> and uh, obscuring my view. So I'm a bit of a crotchety old man when it comes to UD Arena, but atmosphere absolutely is phenomenal. Uh, the year that UD played in the first four and actually played uh, at home in, in air quotes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for that game was one of the most incredible uh, college basketball atmospheres that I've ever been a part of. Just deafeningly loud, electric crowd. Uh, what a night there against Boise State that year. So fantastic. Craig, we uh, we mentioned you on the podcast last week, and Kevin and I, after the show, we started trying to count in our heads you know, how far we've gotten. And Kevin said about 200 teams, and I've been in the business maybe a decade longer than him, I think I've seen maybe 250. And then I thought, I wonder if I could ever do what Craig does. And then you sent me your Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) First of all, it's a masterwork in its organization. But if you're willing to go to the Big Sky Tournament in Boise, Idaho in 2019, I'm never going to catch you. Boise is a great town. I've heard it's a great town. But where you've got me and and will always be ahead of me is I have not seen much of like the big sky, the Northeast, Mm -hmm. uh, the America East. Mm -hmm. uh, But most of the other leagues I've got pretty good representation in. But you've made some pretty crazy trips to see a bunch of teams at once, haven't you? Well, conference tournaments are kind of the the hack to this. In fact, there have yeah. been uh, there's been some criticism from folks who are like, "Well, I mean, you've seen every team in Division One. We've only been to 131 venues. Uh, only 131. Uh, no, no, you're doing it the right. <laughs> right. Way. It's like you've you've only attended like a portion of 24, you know, conference tournaments. Is that really so great? Um, but conference tournaments are are the easy button, obviously, right? Yeah. Particularly quarterfinals uh give me four games in one day i'm as happy as a clam uh and it's a great way to knock out a bunch of teams one of the most memorable trips as part of this experience was in 2016 uh, my wife jacqueline and i went to vegas for conference tournaments because I was looking at my spreadsheet. I had mapped everything out uh, by hand. I wish I had Tableau uh, back then, but (laughs) mapped everything out by hand and just kind of looked at okay, where are the geographic areas that I'm particularly thin in? And West Coast is the obvious answer, right? Um, So we decided, well, 2016, that'll be the year that we fly to Vegas. And we basically just traveled up and down Tropicana or back and forth on Tropicana, rather, um, to the championship game for the WCC, which, of course, was Gonzaga-St. Mary's, as it usually is. Yeah, Um, that's pretty much the matchup in that one, isn't it? Right, yeah. exactly. I mean, I I was watching it with some interest because I had seen St. Mary's before, but I'd not seen Gonzaga. And I'm like, I hope Gonzaga makes it to the title game. And my wife, you know, she she's not a college basketball expert, but it, of course she knew enough even by that point to just look at me and roll her eyes. She's like, of course Gonzaga is going to be there. Don't even worry about it. Um, so we got to see the WCC title game. And then uh, the following week, we basically bounced back and forth between the Orleans, the MGM Grand, and the Thomas yeah. and Mac for the WAC tournament, the Pac-12 tournament, and the Mountain West tournaments, uh, respectively. So it was 10 games. It was crazy, but it was crazy fun. Uh, Yeah. 
Jacqueline, an unbelievable sport, right? You go to Vegas, you probably want to walk around the casinos or take in a show or something like that. And Jacqueline was perfectly content to uh, spend the bulk of her Vegas time <laughs> sitting inside arena bowls. So I appreciate her for that. But yeah, 10 games in five days uh, and actually eight of them in three. So it was quite the jam-packed schedule, but uh, something that I look back on with nothing but fondness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's like, hey, Craig, can we go see Blue Man Group or something? And no, we got right, we got right. a couple dozen <laughs> basketball games we got to go see while we're here. Exactly. Our- yeah, I was like, oh, no, you know, I'm pretty sure Colorado's playing uh, <laughs> down at the end Grand there, honey. And yeah. I'm like, all right, fine, I'll go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I-, I took my wife uh, before we were married on a trip to, to Gardner-Webb and Campbell, and then we uh, – we saw Duke in North Carolina's arenas while we were there. So, uh, and, and, and she stayed, she's still with me uh, after all these years. So uh, that, that works out well. That's awesome. Now Absolutely. I, I, I was looking at your database and you and I have been at the same game three times that, that I can tell. Uh, December 19th of 2011, Belmont at Marshall. I used to call okay. the games for Belmont for many years. Uh, okay. And uh, March 16th of 2012, that was actually the same season, Belmont against Georgetown in the NCAA tournament in Columbus. And then just last year, uh, Vanderbilt at Xavier in the NIT. I call the games for Vanderbilt now on, on uh, March 22nd of 2022. So it was fun for me to like go look through there and see if our, our paths had crossed. And, and an interesting note, on the uh, Belmont at Marshall game, the legendary coach for Belmont was Rick Bird. He was there for, for years and years and uh, won 800 games. But that was the only game of the, the 17 seasons that I called. I, I'm pretty sure that was the only game that he did not coach. And that was because the, the previous game, when Belmont played at Miami, Ohio, uh, he was ejected from the game in the first half <laughs> and, and uh, had to serve a one-game suspension for the game at Marshall. And we, I've, I've teased him about this, but uh, it, that that was the only one that he wasn't on the sideline for that I can remember through all those years. But that's really neat, and I, I'm sure like people have – uh, have probably come up to you and, and tried to figure out if, if they've been to the same game and cross paths and those sorts of things. That that has to be a fun element to all of this. Very much so. So I, I did an AMA on Reddit a couple of weeks ago, actually, when we were in the car driving to American. So on our way to D.C., um, I did an AMA. And the majority of the questions were people asking, you know, when did you see my team? Right. Uh-huh. You know, when were we yeah. ever in the same place? Right. So, um, you know, it, people are definitely interested. And I mean, I think that's kind of cool as well. I remember both the uh, Belmont at Marshall. Well, I remember all three games, obviously, fondly. Uh, you know, anytime I go to a basketball game, I I remember it fondly, but particularly the Belmont uh, at Marshall game because it was midweek and I mentioned to my boss uh, what I was doing the, that particular night. I'm like, well, no, actually, you know, the second I get off work, I'm hopping in the car to drive to Huntington, West Virginia for a basketball game. And his eyes just glazed over. <laughs> and I think I think he lost some respect for me that night. But I got to see a great Belmont team play. Oh. Uh, and that was actually the purpose of that trip was to make sure that I could uh, check Belmont off the list, particularly in that season um and then they ended up obviously uh making the tournament but being slotted in in the columbus uh sub-regional which was fantastic so that particular tournament so that that season uh for me was i think probably the high water mark of college basketball for me because i was selected to be uh, a member of the ncaa super 10 uh, fan selection committee a single year effort to basically provide the media mock uh, to the fan base 
And it was a Facebook contest that, uh, thanks to the uh, exceptional community organizing efforts of my girlfriend, now wife, uh, I was able to win. And uh, the NCAA you know, sent us down to Turner Studios. And over the course of Selection Weekend, um, we learned all about bracketing processes and procedures in real time uh, while the actual committee was in Indianapolis, which was just an incredible experience uh, for me. And I got to, you know, obviously know some folks there at the NCAA and uh, through their generosity, I was able to attend the sub-regional there in Columbus uh, at Courtside Center Court virtually. Um, So that was that was really exceptional. Got to see Rick Majerus's uh, last game there in uh, that particular sub and everything. So, yeah, that that was the kind of the perfect capper to uh, what was an exceptional season for me. And that was also, I think, one of the uh, seasons that I attended the most games that was either my 57 game or 58 game season which uh yeah it obviously is quite an undertaking (laughs) now that you finally bagged the last one which was american that's what why the washington post uh, got involved in your story what is is traveling to see college basketball so ingrained uh in the lifestyle of you and your wife (laughs) that you're going to continue to do that and i'm curious if so what are some goals now that you can, you know, sort of a bucket list? Sure. So I, I think the focus for me in particular now is going to be on venues. Um, obviously, yeah. Uh, the travel bug is huge, right? You know, so like, for example, tonight, right, probably going to go down to NKU for the horizon quarters. Um, travel's ingrained in me in general, though. Uh, so growing up, uh, my mom lived here in Dayton, Ohio, and I lived with her. Uh, and my dad lived up in Milford, Michigan, where initially I'm from, which is a, a suburb of Detroit. So shuttling back and forth between, you know, those two locations, kind of, you know, the every other weekend thing uh, was very normal for me growing up. So so, you know, being on the road and in the car is kind of a place of comfort for me. So it makes it really easy to be able to do all of this travel. Um, but back to your question, uh, definitely venues. Uh, I've not been to the Fog. I've not been to Madison Square Garden. I've been to Carneseca, but not Madison Square Garden. I've not been to the Palestra. I've not been to Pauly. Um, So focusing mm-hmm. a little bit more on uh, let's let's be more deliberate about what venues we hit, I think, is going to only further enhance my my view of the college hoops landscape and make it more well-rounded which at the end of the day is really kind of my end goal i think as long as we're on the subject of of the ncaa tournament who's your final four man you thought about it much so fun fact uh for all of this passion and travel i have only ever won my office bracket pool a grand total of one time uh, because I always get excited. I pick too many upsets. Uh, the year that, you know, Ken Fareed's uh, Moorhead State team uh, beat Louisville, that was one that I crowed around the office about how, you know, I had gotten that one right uh, yeah. for, you know, weeks and weeks afterward. But no, I honestly, uh, I rarely ever win the office pool. So if you're asking me for predictions, you are asking the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I've only won once in about, you know, 30 plus years as well. Right. Yeah. 
He's Craig Caswell. He's reached the goal. He's seen every Division One men's basketball team in person. Uh, number 364 was just last month with the uh, American versus Lehigh game in Washington, D.C. It, it's an amazing quest. Your, your uh, database is crazy to look at, and, and it's just super cool. And really appreciate you spending some time with some uh, fellow basketball fans. It's always fun to kind of talk to people who feel like they're, they're, they're right in line with what we do. So You're a lot one of fun. Of us, Congratulations. Dude. You're one of us. <laughs> well, thank you, guys. I appreciate both you, uh, Chris and Kevin, for having me on. Thank you, guys. Oh, thank you. And thanks for buying Blue Ribbon. Uh, you had told me it was a useful tool in your travels, so that means a lot. It absolutely is. Blue Ribbon and Ken Pomeroy go hand in hand to tell me what <laughs> I need to be looking at each and every night. So thank you. That was Craig Caswell. He's from Dayton, Ohio, and uh, seen them all. He's seen all 364 Division One teams. You were able to uh, to locate him. Uh, you saw the the article as you mentioned in the Washington Post, and then you figured out that he was a Blue Ribbon reader and subscriber. So, yeah. uh, man, that that's great yeah, stuff. I just I, I'm a little like envious that. of that guy in a way, you know. Me too. I I figured a guy like that surely knows about Blue Ribbon. So I typed his name in our database, and it, up it popped. And I got his email and and reached out to him, and he he couldn't have been more gracious and willing to come on. So he's definitely among our tribe. <laughs> but <laughs> and he's 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 got us beat. I, I'm never going to go see the Mount, uh, the the, the uh, Big Sky tournament. I'm, I'm sorry, but <laughs> he, he's got me beat on that. Chris, as we finish up, the uh, the new season of The Mandalorian is out, and we always like to give our spoiler-filled recaps of these uh, Star Wars series at the end of our shows. Um, I've not had a chance to see The Mandalorian. Uh, I've been doing games. I've been on the road a little bit here. But um, as much as you can tell us, uh, feeling pretty good about the uh, the first episode here. Indeed. I, I was pumped. Uh, I set these shows on my iCal in my phone so they pop up so I never forget them. So... Yeah, uh, uh, Mando and, and Grogu are on another quest. This time, uh, as uh, viewers of the show might recall, Mando was stripped of, of his status because he actually had the audacity to remove his helmet during that touching uh, goodbye scene with with Grogu. I mean, Grogu, hey, hey, you know, how about let me take a look at who, what you look like here. I'm about to depart forever. And uh, he's going to have to go on a pilgrimage to Mandalore to bathe in the living waters. Uh, so uh, hilarity ensues. They get to go back to Navarro where Carl, the great Carl Weathers as grief Carga. And now he's the high magistrate Carga. They've cleaned up the place. And uh, I think he's trying to do go straight, trying to, uh, you know, be uh, the trade center of, of that part of the galaxy. And these pirates uh, interrupt, you know, Mando has to kill a couple of them, actually four. As uh, he does. And then uh, then they chase him down, and that new ship of his, uh, I'm just going to say it's a winner. Uh, he, he was able to uh, knock out a few of them and then get into hyperspace. Uh, Katie Sackoff as Bo-Katan is back. She is alone again, naturally, uh, which I'm sure you know that song reference, uh, because uh, Mando won the Dark Saber, and because of that, she has been abandoned by her crew. So there's going to be some kind of battle between those two, I promise you. And uh, so it looks like the show is going to be about Mando uh, regaining his status as a, as a legit Mandalorian, 
and uh, you know the obstacles that are going to be placed in his path. And I just think it's the greatest little show. And there's some great moments. Grogu is definitely pumped to be back with his boy, and uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be a great season. Yeah, as pumped as Grogu ever is, and uh, when yeah, you, when yeah. you said, "Man, now he has to go back and, and bathe himself in the, in the waters," is that what you said? It, it, in the living waters at, at Mandalorian, and, and you know, uh, the planet was uh, was trashed, Ma- Mandalore, and uh, the waters are supposedly poisoned. But uh, you know, Mando's not afraid of it. He's 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 going, and he's going to take on all comers. So, is this like Prince talking about? Was it purifying yourself in the in the waters of Lake Minnetonka? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something yeah, like I think that. it's something like that. <laughs> you know, they they ought to get a Prince soundtrack song right. there. But uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, the, the new episode and the new season of The Mandalorian. You're going to dig it, man. I have a feeling my my son has probably already seen it. He doesn't seem real intent on waiting around for his old man to have time to watch these shows. Either. Oh, I'd I'd say he snuck a peek. Yeah, I would say uh, he's so also too. in the. Uh, this is this is so cool. Uh, uh, he's also acts in the Pedro Pascal in The Last of Us, an HBO series about an apocalyptic. I don't know. It could very well be ripped from today's headlines. It was a pandemic and and croaked uh, off a bunch of people. But uh, he actually gets to use his face, and everybody talks about how expressive he is, and that's his secret weapon. And mm-hmm. of course, in Mando, it's hidden under the helmet and therein lies the plot of of this season because he took his helmet off for just a little bit he's gonna have to go through all this crap to get it back to get back his status all right we'll keep track of the mandalorian throughout the season this is the way and this is the blue ribbon college basketball podcast chris we'll talk to you next time man this is the way brother he's chris dorch i'm kevin ingram we'll talk to you soon